We want to say welcome to everyone joining us this Wednesday night, 13th day of September 2023. I'd like to say that. Um, it's good to be back in Mississauga after a trip, after my trip into the United States. And so tonight is our for, my first service back here, and we want to pray that God will give us a, a great Wednesday night service. Uh, for those of you joining us, may the Lord bless you and inspire your hearts. Uh, join me in prayer, please. The Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, once again for your goodness and your grace. Thank you, Lord, for uh, allowing me the privilege of visiting the United States and our assemblies in New Jersey and Westbury and Elmont. I pray, O oh God, that tonight as we gather here and in church, that you would inspire my mind to speak to your people, Father, only words that you want me to utter, that it'll be a challenge to godly living, Father. Please, O oh God, help us to live right. Bless the service tonight. Inspire our hearts. Lord, direct our footsteps, we pray. And we give you thanks in anticipation for a profitable Wednesday night service, Father. We ask in Jesus' name that you'll be a blessing to us. Amen and amen.
song and a lot of times we can sing a song that's a reality and a lot of times we can sing a song that is an anticipation more than a reality I'd like to say that um, I made a trip into the United States um, my doctor had advised that I do not put stress on my body for a little bit and speaking of doctors there's so much to say about doctors but um, I felt I needed to go to a service that brother Montezaire from New Jersey pastor in one of the assemblies in New Jersey he was having a service and he's always come to our meetings so I thought it would be a good thing for me to make a trip and of course if I went to New Jersey for a Saturday service then Saturday night we would probably go to Westbury and then on Sunday I'm back in Elmont so for two days 
uh, there'll be three services I'll attend. Uh, to be honest, the trip was good. Um, I've never seen the airport so empty. Not that it's good for business, it's not good for their business, but it's good for travel. Uh, it was the Lord gave me a pleasant trip to go to the, the United States and was a pleasant trip coming back from the United States. Amen. Normally you dread the long walks that you have to take. I've never come on into Canada on an airline that when you get out from the airline, you're less than two minutes walk to customs. Less than two minutes. Never did that before. But I did. I came out and there was customs. Uh, next to customs and so everything was fine. Um, I'm glad I went. I don't know how often I'll go, but I'm glad I went. And I'm <clears throat> glad I was able to visit uh, Brother Montezaire's church. He has a nice group of people, very zealous. <clears throat> They're Haitians, very zealous. Uh, very lively, and um, my first trip into that assembly, and I thought maybe I'd put some words that will fortify their faith in God. That's my only concern, is that I'll fortify their faith in the Lord. Those of you that follow me, and I said those of you because I'm not sure how many people in the local church heard the messages I preach. Uh, the messages I preached in New Jersey was on the internet the very next day. Uh, the message I preached in Westbury when Saturday night was on the internet the very next day. And the message I preached in Elmont was on the internet uh, the very day, I think it was. So all these messages were placed. I did not, when you're in a brand new church, uh, whether you agree with their form of worship or you disagree, uh, it's good to be modest. And I try to be modest just a little bit out of the way sometimes. And um, I was advising the saints in, in New Jersey uh, that there is a way to worship God. I didn't go in details. There was just a little, little pick I had. And I mentioned it and passed on from that and put the word of God and, and give them, you know, enough to fortify their strength. Um, when someone is brand new, when you're preaching to a brand new congregation, you have to feed them and strengthen them and give them meat before you give them medicine. And so this trip was a trip to give me just a little bit of medicine, um, but uh, mainly to encourage the saints in, in, in New Jersey. And um, we left before dinner was served because um, uh, we had to make a trip back into Elmont and then get back into Westbury. God was good to me. I did not have aches and pains like I thought I would, but I made a trip. And um, uh, was a good service in Westbury. Westbury was quite a different, it's a Haitian church, but quite a different atmosphere than New Jersey. And uh, it was nice to see Brother Antoine. He's always our friend. 
Brother Antoine, Sister Rosemary is our, always our friend. Brother Sam, he's like a part of my family. And so we were there. Saints were glad. Brother Antoine um, told me some things that I'll cherish uh, for the rest of my life. But um, that's between me and him, things that he told me. And I thought it was wonderful to have him say these things to me. And um, the church in Elmont, that's home church. We got there uh, in our own local church in Elmont. It's nice to see all the saints. And of course, you can, you know, add some extra caution in your own local church that people that know you. And so I spent some time talking to that church also. Overall, the trip was a good trip. And um, one of the things I, I dealt with that I thought maybe tonight would be a good night to touch a little bit on it is about worship. Um, worship. Uh, we can, Jesus made a statement in the 15th chapter of Matthew's gospel. And he's making this statement. The reason why I'm taking the scripture from Matthew, even though it's also in Isaiah, is because Jesus said a few additional things here that I'd like to draw our attention to. It is important that we worship according to God's way and God's standards. Uh, one of the lessons I shared with the, I think it might have been the Elmont Church, I'm not even sure which one, I talked about the fifth soil. Four kinds of soil, um, stony ground, st um, uh, wayside, stony ground, thorny ground, good ground, and the fifth soil is absentism from church where you'll miss all of that. You know, when church was done, and this was in Elmont, the sister came up and she told me, she says, Brother Singh, and it's always good to get wisdom from someone and walks over to you after church is done. She said, Brother Singh, um, would I be right if I told you that I have all the soils? I said, you know, you're absolutely right. Not just right. Um, you're absolutely right because every one of us have a trace of the wayside. We have a trace of stony ground. We have a trace of thorny ground, and some of us have a lot of thorny ground. And then we have good ground, and then we have soil number five. We like to miss church sometimes and really don't care about the message afterwards. And so it is always good when you finish a message that someone come over to you and specifically mention something to do with that message that inspire their heart. And I thought that came from the heart. Well, here in Matthew chapter 15, Jesus is saying here in verse 8, he says, This people draw nigh unto me with their mouth, and honor at me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And then he said, In vain or without profit or without reward, do they worship me, 
teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Now, this, these two verses of Scripture has a whole lot to say that would inspire our hearts. First of all, as we look at the history of God's work, it's always worshiping God with our lips. Whether sincerely or not sincerely, we like to come on in and sing praises to the Lord and worship the Lord with our lips. Now, I might worship the Lord with my lips and not sincerely. The person next to me, same worship, but they're worshiping sincerely from the heart. And so is worship important? Yeah, worship is important because it sets the stage for the Word of God to be preached. I'm talking about worship service. And so, uh, the scripture taken from Isaiah, the 29th chapter, where Isaiah is making some strong statements. And um, Isaiah said in chapter 29, don't lose Matthew. He said in chapter 29, he says, stay yourselves and wonder cry, cry out, and cry. And then he says they're drunken, but not with wine. They stagger, but not with strong drink. Sounds like a Holy Ghost service, right? For the Lord has poured out upon you the spirit of deep sleep or deep slumber. He says, and I close your eyes, and the prophets, and the prophets, and the rulers, and the teachers, or seers, had he covered or made blind. The vision, the vision of all is become unto you as the words of a book that is sealed. The genuine vision is like a book that is sealed. Well, I, you know when. John received a, uh, when John was receiving the revelation, he saw a book in the angel's hand sealed with seven seals. Now these days we don't have books that are sealed. But back there a scroll would have a seal, a little bit of wax put on it, melted, and so you can't open it unless you have the authority to open it. And so back there, this scripture is referring to a scroll that is sealed. And when this is given, verse 11, Isaiah 29, when the vision of all is become unto you as the words of a book that is sealed, which men deliver to one that's educated, one that is learned, saying, read this, I pray thee. And he said, I cannot, for it is sealed. Now this is amazing. That a man that is learned admits to the fact that it is sealed. And when Isaiah was receiving this, if he had to do this over in our day, the man that has some education, even though he don't know the meaning, will give, a, give it a shot. Because everyone has an interpretation and everyone knows what should be done. And everyone has an, uh, an un answer for every question. But here is an honest congregation, the man that 
has the learning, cannot understand it because it is sealed. I believe a lot of what's going on in the world today is sealed. And unless God opens up the prophecies to us and the books to us, we should not try to decipher it. We should not try to interpret it. Like right now, before church started this afternoon, I was telling Sister Chandri, I think it was, I was saying, uh, with the pol political situation in the world, with Korea and Russia and China and America and Ukraine and all of these powers of the world that's going on, it is at the brink of a world war. And you see, God's people fail to understand how serious, how a serious time we are living in. We feel, you know, like, uh, for example, when COVID came and uh, the pandemic started and there were restrictions and no one was allowed to come to church, God allowed the pandemic to come to shake the work of God up. To judge the ungodly, chastise the child of God. The ungodly got judged. Millions of people died. And some of God's children died. But the church got shook up. It was good opportunity for people to stop coming to church. They had a legal reason, a justifiable reason to stay home and not return back to church. And so COVID-19 shook every non-elect out of the church, some permanently. And when we're seeing disasters and wars, you know, when someone is sick, they'll run to God. When they're well, they don't run to God. And I'm saying that because some of the things I'd like to share with you, and I'd like to share with you some good news. You ever had good news for a long time? Well, most of the news is bad news. Well, two nights ago, I had a dream. I'm not saying the Lord gave me a dream. But I'm telling you, two nights ago, I got up and I dreamt strange dream. I dreamt there was a sepulcher, like, you know, the one that they put Jesus in when he was dead. And mine was more modern, but it was a sepulcher with a door. And I told the folks around me, I said, it's time for me to die. And I'm prepared to go in and die. And I'm sad, but I have to go in and die. And I said, okay, bye everybody. And I went on in, locked the door. And then when I'm inside, I say, you know what, I forgot something outside. I don't think I want to die anymore. And so I opened the door and came back out. And I woke up and I said, that's a funny dream. Because nobody goes in a sepulcher these days. Well, it was funny until I went and got my report today after six months of all kinds of tests. I never had a cardiologist, uh, you know, to follow me up. But she did more tests than Chandra would ever have. She did all kinds of tests. It took me about six months to get all these tests done because Mr. Singh, clogged arteries run in your family. 
Your mom died of a heart attack. Your brother died of a heart attack. I just want to make sure every part of your heart and a circulatory system is working right. So today, I'm going into the cardiologist's office for a report. And I took Sister Chandri with me. I said, you, I want you to come in with me because if I go in, whatever the report is, I don't want when I come out, they think I'm fibbing. You know, they say you got three clogged blood vessels and I come out and say, I'm fine. I don't know if they would want to believe that. So I said, go in with me. And so she went in and we sat there and the doctor told me, she says, as far as your heart is concerned, as far as your circulatory system, your legs, your veins, your, uh, your, all your veins and chest and all over, she said, you're very well, you're fine. She said, I see no clogs, I see no clogged arteries, I don't see any problem whatsoever, except you've got a little infection in your throat area. So I said, you know, I get that every year. And so, to me, that was good news. When you go to a doctor and they tell you all kinds of things are wrong, you worry. And so, I didn't have to complain and say, Lord, you know I'm doing all of this work for you. Why am I sick? No, I got a clean bill of health. Is that what they say? Clean bill of health. And so, I praise God for that. And so, coming back to the lesson... Uh, we're thinking now that here we are in church and God is talking to Israel. Well, as I look at my Bible, Israel has always had problems spiritually speaking. And whether it's in the days of Isaiah, the days of Moses, the days of Jeremiah, or any one of the prophets, God's people... And I'm going to say this like this. The body of Moses was always infected with diseases, spiritual maladies, all the time. If they were never affected, they didn't need prophets. And so we look at the Old Testament all the way down to Matthew, and the people were having church. They were convinced the church was right and they were doing the right thing. Uh, they were praying to God, they were worshiping God with the offerings. They thought their worship was right. When God looked at it, he said, he said they're drunken, but not with wine. And what are they drunken with? The spirit of society, the spirit of the world. He says here, when the vision is given to the learned, he can't read it because it is sealed. And so the book is delivered to the person that is not learned. And his answer is, uh, they said, read this, I pray thee. And he says, I cannot, for it is learned. Verse 13, Isaiah writes like this. He says, wherefore, the Lord said, for as much as this people draw near unto me with their mouths, and with their lips they do honor me, but I've removed their heart far from me, for their fear towards me is taught by the precepts of men. Now I want you to leave Isaiah and come back to Matthew 
for a moment. It is important that we today understand that the possibility of us serving God in vain lies very strong with every church. So not only was the body of Moses corrupt, spiritually speaking, yet carried on religion, the body of Christ in the New Testament era was also corrupted. Every church that God started, the devil successfully undermined and perverted. The body of Moses had problems, and the body of Christ had problems. Now here's the thing. If I were the devil, what will I do? Stop, close down the temples? No. Would I close down the churches? No. What I would do is give them the kind of worship that is serving God in futility. And this is what I need to bring to our attention because we can be in church for hours of spending time enjoying ourselves and we stagger but not with wine, nor the spirit. But we are intoxicated because man has passed down principles unto us and methods unto us that is not of God. Anything that we incorporate in our midst that is not ordained by God, but some gimmick passed on to us by man, is promoting vain worship. And Jesus said here in verse 8, There's people draw nigh unto me with their mouth. We can do that. Israel did that. The early church did that. And honor it me with their lips. Oh God, you're so wonderful. Wonderful, wonderful Jesus is to me. Is he? I love him, I love him, I love him. He's the rose of Sharon to me. Is he? You're all I need, Lord. Your power is great. We sing, and it sounds good, gives us some excitement, and we have ways of responding to that excitement, but is it real? If Israel did this, and the early church did this, what is the possibility of us doing this? Think about it. And so I'm reading this again. Jesus says his people, he says, but in vain, verse 9, do they worship me? Because their teachings is not only the doctrines they teach, but their methods. Uh, commandments of men takes over the worship, uh, mechanics and methods and whatever is used to encourage the people to get excited is not from God. If it's not of the spirit, it's of the flesh. And if it's of the flesh, it cannot please God. And so, as we head towards the end of the age, it is absolutely necessary that the church be measured. Uh, John, when we received the, uh, when, before we go to John, 
uh, when, yes, let's go to John, uh, Revelation, the 11th chapter. In Revelation, the 11th chapter, uh, John is writing here what God is telling him. And he said, there was given unto me a reed, chapter 1, chapter 11, verse 1, there was given unto me a reed like unto a rod, and the angel said, stood, uh, saying, rise and measure. So what is here? We are looking for power to be given to the two witnesses in, in chapter, verse 3. It is necessary for the temple to be measured in verse 1. Now, oh yes, we are measured. Well, who give us the measurement? Is it the commandments of men? Who taught us how we need to worship in church? Who taught us how we need to dance in church? Who taught us how we need to push the music in church? It is important that we seek after God and we receive measurements not for man. But someone says, well, our ancestors, our fathers in the faith, pass it on to us. Where did they get it from? Are we gonna would or would we be like the Gentiles in the in the coming kingdom and says our fathers have inherited lies and things wherein there is no profit? Is it possible that some of the things passed on to us came from man's sorts? If it's the commandments of men, it will bring no blessing but the judgment of God. See, it is very evident that the temple must be measured, the altar, which is a sacrifice, must be measured, and the people therein must be measured, and then God will pour, give power unto the two witnesses. It says in Revelation 11, it tells me, or it creates the impression that the witnesses do not have the power. If they had the power, they would not need to be given the power. And so it is necessary that God, you see, this measurement, this reed like unto a rod given to John was not from his ancestors. It was not from his forefathers. It is so easy to hang on to a golden calf mentality or a brazen serpent mentality it is so easy to hold on to Philistine's cart. And Israel did all get involved in all of this. The Philistine's cart was not made by God. It was made by the Philistines. What in God's name were God's people putting the ark on top of Philistine's cart? I wondered today how many Philistine's cart we in gospel assembly churches and other churches that are not a part of us carry. I wanted today in the work of God around the world, whether it's in gospel assembly churches or any other churches, any other church, how many of us are no better than the Israelites in the Old Testament or the apostate churches in the New Testament? That is why when a true apostle was ready to leave this world, he was a very disappointed man. See, Paul knew that after he was gone, the devil would come on in 
and enter into the church. Didn't he say that? He said, after my departure, shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock, and even of your own self shall men arise speaking for You see, the devil does not come into the church having two horns and hoofs. He comes into the hearts of perverted, ambitious men in the church and women in the church. And that is why what saved the church at Ephesus was the wisdom of the saints sitting there for years. They could recognize perversion when it showed its face. If our methods and the way we worship is not ordained by God, it's worship in futility. Over here, and I know Wednesday night we don't have a long time, but uh, here in, in the book of Romans, <clears throat> Romans, the 8th chapter of Romans, and you know, if we're to rule and reign with Christ, then we must have the mentality of Christ. We must have his mindset. We must have his spirit. We must, can't do anything. If it's not of the spirit, it's of the flesh. I'll say that again. If it's not of the spirit, it's of the flesh. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in genuine Holy Spirit. So the question I like to ask, and I've been asking this, do we have enough of the genuine Holy Spirit working in our midst or do we have all, do we, we are captivated by the world? So we're here in Romans and uh, Paul is writing concerning the Spirit. He says, there, verse 1, he says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ. You see, we can come in Christ and enjoy the benefits of being in Christ. If you have his spirit, you're in Christ. If you have his spirit, hold your finger in Romans 8, and turn with me to Galatians, the fifth chapter. If you have his spirit, you would have some of these qualities, uh, characteristics found in Romans, uh, Galatians, the fifth chapter, and verse 22 says, but the fruit of the spirit is love. And some say, what kind of love? Love, man. Don't worry what kind. Genuine, pure love. Is that good enough? Did Paul have Bible school that when he says love, he got to tell them where it came from? What's difficult in me telling you to love God? Love? Love. Your enemies. What it means? Write them a note and say, I love you? No, love is an expression of the heart that is manifested in a lifestyle. So if you're having the fruit of the Spirit, you would have love. What else? What else? You reading it? Let's read it. Love, joy, peace, long, say, say that long. Long-suffering. You don't complain. You're long-suffering. You have gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. You have, these are all characteristics 
<coughs> the spirit of Jesus. Now, Jesus, in the resurrection, he had manifested spirits, seven spirits of God. And I'm leaving Galatians and I'm turning back now to Isaiah 11 chapter where Isaiah is describing Jesus in a, his resurrecting, a resurrected form and how many spirits of God is working on him. In Isaiah 11 chapter, it says here, And there came a rod out of the stem of Jesse, the ancestor of Jesus. He's called a branch, he's called a rod. And the branch shall grow out of his roots. And the Spirit of the Lord, here are seven characteristics, seven spirits of God resting on Jesus. If you're to rule and reign with Jesus in the coming kingdom, you'll have to have these spirits working in your life. Let's all read the spirits. Number verse 2. The Spirit of the Lord, number 1, shall rest upon him. Number 2, the Spirit of now think about it. The Holy Ghost will rest upon him. But beyond the Holy Ghost is the spirit of wisdom. Do you have wisdom? Do you have wisdom? Question. I'm just asking questions. Next. Spirit of understanding. Do you have an understanding of God's ways? If you're ruling and reigning with him, you'd have to have this. If you're to sit on the throne, you'd have to have this. He says, the spirit of counsel, that you'd be able to give right counsel to individuals that seek your advice. You're not telling them what mama said or what grandpa said or what the world is doing. You give counsel that's full of wisdom and understanding. Might. You have the might. The might, might is a characteristic of the spirit. And the spirit of knowledge. You're not sitting there with your mouth open and don't understand what's going on. You have a knowledge. The priest's lips should keep knowledge. But the hearts of the saints should also keep knowledge. Spirit of might, spirit of knowledge... And the spirit of the fear of the Lord. And when all of this is resting on Jesus, God will make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge according to the seeing of his eyes, nor the hear, reprove after the hearing of his ears. But here is how he will rule in the coming kingdom. But with righteousness shall he rule over the poor, and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he will smite the earth with the word of God that comes out of his mouth. See, when I go visit an assembly, and in this assembly, I pray that God would not just put lollipops coming out of my mouth, sugar candy, chocolate bars, but he would put the rod, his rod in my mouth, that when I'm there speaking to individual, the word of God, would reach on into their lives and challenge hypocrisy, challenge the flesh, challenge demonic activity, and help them to recover themselves from that because that is what Jesus will do in the coming kingdom. 
the word of God shall go forth from Jerusalem. And when we look at all that's going on in the world, we pray, O oh Lord Jesus, come quickly. And he goes on here, when this happens, it says, the righteous and righteousness, verse 5, shall be the girdle of his loins. Righteousness. When someone look at you, there's righteousness. There's godliness seen in your life. And faithfulness shall be the girdle of his reins. And when this happens, it affects nature. It affects the people <coughs> listening to you. It affects your family. It affects your neighbors. In the coming kingdom, when Jesus is ruling and reigning, and there's 144,000 overcomers with him, they have the Spirit of God dwelling on them. But it's not going to happen overnight. It says, The lion and the lamb shall dwell together, a leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. Because, in verse 9, they will not hurt nor destroy. As God takes a hold of your life and the Spirit of God becomes a permanent part of you, you don't hurt people. Oh, it doesn't mean you become a cream puff. Sometimes your word is going to be a rod of iron. It's not going to be sweet. Sometimes it has to be stern. Sometimes it has to be a rod. Sometimes it has to be a sword. And I'm basically talking about this is what preachers are made up of because when the word of God is there in your heart, foolishness can come out of your mouth. But a lot of times the word of God is like a rod and it's like a sword and it can be there to, to deal with iniquity and sin, but yet at the same time offer a healing balm to those that are wounded. It is important that... <clears throat> they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. Why? Everyone read it. <clears throat> For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. When you like to hurt individuals, when you're so quick to get angry, and you're quick to respond, and you're quick to tell off, and you're quick to gossip, it means your heart is lacking the knowledge of God. Now, all of this does not happen overnight. This is developed in the church. And if I were the devil, I'll undermine its development in the church. I'll make sure that the church is operating on a man's commandments, that the worship of the people is in vain. See, worship, literal worship in church is important. But it must be spiritual. And so here in Romans, quickly, as we bring this service slowly to an end, in Romans, the 8th chapter, Paul is making some statements here. And I would like to address some of these areas. He says, There is therefore now, verse 1, no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Why is there no condemnation? Because they walk not after the flesh. Can you walk after the flesh? Can you walk after the spirit? You have a choice, walking after the flesh or walking after the spirit. Which one do you walk in most? 
Today, I worked on my driveway a little. I told Brother John I'm going to do the corners, and then I'm going to, he offered to help me get some major work done, but not what I was doing today. And so I'm working on the corner. Carnal. Carnal, carnal. No. What are the ears listening to? The Word of God. I can't say hallelujah because it's going to not put a straight line. You know, you say hallelujah and then the line goes crooked. But I listen to the Word of God as much as I can all day. And even when I'm doing something that looks carnal, my mind remains spiritual. It is absolutely necessary to keep my mind focused on spiritual things. And so, if I walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit, there's no condemnation. Isn't that a wonderful thing when you can walk after the spirit? For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus that set me free from the law of sin and death, when Christ's laws start to take a hold of me, it liberates me from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. Why did Jesus come? That we should not walk in the flesh when we receive his spirit, we should walk in the spirit. The righteousness of the law, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, what God demands might be fulfilled in us if we walk not according to the flesh, but after the Spirit. Now here is a problem. You fake the Holy Ghost baptism, you'll never walk in the Spirit. One of the best things you can ever do is if you fake the Holy Ghost baptism, is admitted to God. Or talk to your pastor and say, you know, I faked it. Pray that God give me the genuine thing. But, the, but you know, pastor, they pressure me and help tell me to say la la la. And I did. And I faked it. If you fake the Holy Ghost baptism, you're still dead in trespasses and sin. You cannot walk in the Spirit. To walk in the Spirit, you must have the Spirit working in your life. Now, you might not receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, but you can still walk in the Spirit because you open your mind to spiritual things. Did Isaiah receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost? But he walked in the Spirit. Did Enoch walk with God? Did he receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost? No. no, but he had the Spirit working in his life. Tonight I'm telling you that you don't have to fake the baptism because some preacher is putting that pressure on you. I remember one time I was in a minister's meeting and <clears throat> I, I, I really don't like minister's meeting, but the minister's meetings are all right for a lot of people, but I really don't like it. I was in one and one minister's meeting, and a brother was telling another brother, he said, um, in my church, I have a problem because some sisters are saved and the brothers are, are saved, but they don't have the baptism of the Holy Ghost. He said, the sisters speak in tongues and the brothers don't speak and they want to get married. What should I do? So there was a brother next to me, and he says, what do you mean? 
I said, shh. I tell him, shh. Poor man, he would have got in big trouble that day. I said, what do you mean? The sisters speak in tongues and the brothers don't speak in tongues, so they're unequally yoked. I said, maybe the brother is closer to God than the sister that speaks in tongues. I said, you've got to assess a case. Are they both saved? Yes, then they're equally yoked. If they're both saved, that's important. The sister may be fake, the Holy Ghost. You see, and what preachers have done is the brothers are going to be forced now to go say something because you want to marry a sister. We don't do that kind of stuff. Live godly. If I were the devil, I'd let you fake everything in your life. But here we are today. I want us to be genuine. I want us to be real. I want us to walk in the spirit. You don't have to speak in tongues necessarily. If you do, praise God. But if you don't, live spiritual. Walk in the spirit. And Paul went on here, he says, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Everyone, read together now so I can speed this lesson up. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit do mind the things of the Spirit. So if you're in the flesh, you can't walk in the spirit because you want fleshly things. To be carnally minded is fleshly minded. Everybody say fleshly minded. Flesh. To be carnally minded brings death every day in your life. But to be spiritually minded brings life and brings peace. Together again, verse 7. Because the carnal or fleshly mind is enmity against God. When you don't have a mind that is spiritual, you become slowly an enemy of God. You will think carnal things, you will judge people, you will think evil thoughts, you will want some ungodly thing to look at all day. And listening to the message does not make you spiritual. It helps you to focus your mind. Have you ever listened to a message and don't hear a thing? Yes. yes. You can have it playing, but you're not listening. And you can be listening with your head, but your heart's not listening. I'm talking about developing a spiritual relationship by eliminating fleshly things out of our lives. I'm talking about walking in the spirit, not the flesh. And Paul went on here, I'm closing it off. I want to come to this part. He says, the carnal mind, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Verse 7, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then, everyone together, together, loud and clear. So then they that are, whether in church singing choruses, whether standing up and testify, whether involved in dancing in the church, or any other church activity, they that are in the flesh. How much? 
Say that again. It is impossible to please God if your activity is fleshly. So you can have a whole service that lasts, the worship service lasts for an hour. Praise the Lord. We had the Spirit moving. No, no, don't lie on the Spirit. Don't lie on the Spirit. If the band is playing and the band needs to move the Spirit, then we got a problem here. Not every time a service lasts an hour, it means that God is there. Because the longer it lasts, if it's the flesh, if it starts in the flesh, it will continue to be in the flesh. And the flesh cannot please God. God is His Spirit. They that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. And this weekend, in my trip... I wonder how many of us really worship God in the spirit. There were times I felt like, can I get up and stop all of this? But I couldn't do it. You can't do that in somebody else's church. But it got hog wild. Brother fell down, spin over, turn over, kick around. And if I did not have good eardrums, they'll be blown out of proportion. May God help us. Because I've got a drum set there. How would you like me to have that drum set for somebody to play inside but I put a plastic around? You know they put a plastic so the drums don't deafen you? Well, how about me putting a plastic and then put five microphones inside the plastic? I'm going to say it again and I'm going to pray. The flesh cannot please God. One more time. The flesh cannot please God. Whatever the flesh is involved in, it cannot please God. We're here to learn to please God. Yeah. Learning to please God. Not the flesh. Let's pray. Father we thank you again. Once again. For another Wednesday night. Father. We were shapen in iniquity and in sin. Our parents conceived us. But oh God we ask. For your help. Because we can't fabricate the spirit. We need your spirit, Father, genuinely in our midst. We can talk about it, Father, but we need your spirit. We can criticize others, but we need your spirit, Father, genuinely. Please give us of your spirit. Let this word not return void unto thee, but accomplish its purpose and plan, we pray, Father, in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen and amen.